Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 1, Episode 12, The Shifted Storyline, Romans 2, 12-16. Do you like movies with a twist in them? The kind that seem to be leading you one way, and then all of a sudden, you find out a certain piece of information, and the whole plotline of the movie changes. Kind of like the movie The Sixth Sense, where the little boy in the movie says, I see dead people. And and Bruce Willis is kind of, you think he's working with this little boy and counseling him and working on, and finally at the end of the movie, you realize, no, the reason this little boy is having a relationship with him is because Bruce Willis' character is dead. That's why he sees him. And the whole movie changes all of a sudden. And you want to go back and you want to reread the, or excuse me, rewatch the movie to, to, to see it all. We're going to see something like that today. Hey, welcome again. This is Pastor Steve Treichler here in Hope Community Church. If you're a, you're an avid listener, uh, you'll notice that we took a week off. I was went down fly fishing, if it's one of my passions. Uh, I'm not saying I'm great at it, but I sure love to do it. And I went down to southeast Minnesota and, and uh, Rochester, south of Rochester, Preston area, Chatfield, Harmony, all those kind of places, and just had a great time. There's such a beautiful area. And uh, it's spring here in Minnesota, and the fish were biting. It was fantastic. I had a great time. I, I brought down the microphone and thought maybe I'd record this episode down there, but... Uh, you know what, vacation and trying to get a <laughs> episode of Romans Untangled together just didn't fly, and so uh, I'm kind of glad I waited. So anyway, welcome again uh, to this week. Every uh, every episode, we've been starting out the uh, in season one here, which will run uh, three more episodes after this, is about all we have left. Uh, we've been starting out with a way that we are going to uh, try to improve our Bible study skills. And so we've been doing a lot of different things, looking at last time we looked at context and how context plays a key role into things. I want to do something this week a little bit different. It's just a method of Bible study that lets you emotionally uh, read things in, in a more helpful manner. And uh, the, the way that I want to do this is I, I want you to, to firmly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, you know, we talk about this just about every week, of course. Uh, last week, we talked about it, and I'll kind of get into what we talked about last week. If you, if you don't remember, we were talking about works and, and how our works are, we will be judged by works, but ultimately at the, at the cross of Jesus Christ, he not only took our, our dirty jacket, he imputed his, uh, we took, imputed our sin to him, but he gave us his righteousness. If that's really true, and Jesus, uh, Jesus really did pay for our sins, then then I am united with Christ, and I'm, I'm okay on Judgment Day. I'm okay in Jesus. We say that phrase a lot uh, here at Hope, and and uh, in my my personal life, I say that to myself a lot. If that's true, then I don't have to constantly read Scripture, then trying to justify myself. I, I can actually read Scripture and say you know what, I got things in my life I got to work on because I'm okay in Jesus and I'm not okay because I'm the good guy in the story. In fact, today's Bible studies tool is to read the scripture as the bad guy. What I mean by it is this. Let's just say you get to uh, you get to the Gospels and you're in Luke chapter 18. And, and what I think now, I've been convinced by my good friend, Phil Stoike. If you're listening, Phil, shout out to you. Uh, he has convinced me now that this is the most important parable in the scripture. And I, I would agree with him. The, the 
parable of the lost coin, the lost uh, uh, the lost sheep, and the lost uh, son or lost sons, actually from Luke chapter fifteen. Very close second, but I do think that this one is number one. And it says this: um, it's it's Jesus speaking uh, to a group of people. Well, let me just let me just read it to you. It's from Luke chapter eighteen, starting at verse nine. He says, "To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable." So you're going to tell them a story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's the parable. I think a lot of us would read that and go, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure glad I'm not like that Pharisee, because that Pharisee is the guy, you know, he puts himself above other people, and he, you know, he compares himself to others, and he says they're better. I'm sure glad I'm not like him. Well, just by making that statement, we are, right? I'm comparing myself to the Pharisee, and I'm saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee. So in essence, we kind of slip into that. Instead of saying, I need to be the good guy in the parables, what if I read the parable and then asked the question, God, how am I confident in my own righteousness? God, God, how, how, how do I look down on others? How do I even look down at people who think they're better than me, right? Like like this Pharisee might. God, what would you do in my heart to make me be a person that lives more in line with the truth of the reality of your gospel? Because I know that that I don't need to prove anything to you. Uh, it's all been proven at the cross. And so I'm going to read this now, and I'm going to say, how am I, what's the Pharisee in my heart? Where have I gone like this? And what I think that does is it... it it's, it starts for us to read scripture and let it emotionally hit us. And again, maybe this isn't a Bible study tool like some of the others where you learn words or context or definitions or how to do cross-reference checks or some of those things. But I think it gives us the way I think God wants us to read scripture and that it's we're not just reading it as an academic exercise, but we're reading it into our hearts and we're allowing the gospel to say, I don't need to always say that I'm okay by my behavior. I'm Actually, I'm not. I'm okay in Jesus. So therefore, I'm going to allow these passages to land with me in a way that I think allows me to have much more of a devotional life, much more of a close walk with Jesus as I seek to to actually not self-justify myself all the time. And it's, it's, a, it's a disease of the human heart, let me tell you. The human heart wants to justify itself. But I'm just going to encourage with this week's Bible study tool is to just practice this. Read yourself as the bad guy. Read yourself as the person in the story that's not being made the best of and saying, Lord, how by the power of your gospel, the power of your spirit in my life, can we overcome these things? Now, it's been a couple weeks since we were in Romans, so let me remind you where we came from. We were in Romans 2, 5 through 10 in an episode that I called The Truth About Karma. In other words, that it was looking at this whole idea of how we are going to be uh, judged, right? You're going to be judged by your deeds, and that's true. That's very true. 
Uh, in the previous passage, it, it 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 did some of this thing when I talked about comparison. I'm I, I can't remember if I used Luke eighteen, but I probably did. Um, it was three weeks ago now in my brain. So, but the the goes from there, and he moves into this thing, and he says you're going to be judged by your deeds, and he goes on to say that if you've done perfectly, then good things will happen, and if you haven't, uh, then things won't. He this is verses five to ten of chapter two. So let me read verses nine. Uh, excuse me, five through eleven. Um, let me let me read uh, uh, verses nine to the end of the that section, which is verse eleven. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Okay, so uh, you know we read this in our very. If you're a Western person here, if you're listening, you know we love the idea of there's no favoritism. Right? There's no everyone's equal and all that kind of thing. And so we don't read this. And I, I I teased this out a little bit at the end of that episode, saying we're going to hit on that verse for God does not show favoritism. Because if you're reading this, and you're reading it for the first time as a Jewish person. Your response to for God does not show favoritism is, yeah, he does. No, you don't understand. I'm Jewish. I'm I'm of the chosen people. And and therefore I have favoritism. And so what are you talking about? Right? That leads us this week into this week's passage. All right. It says, let me read it. And then we're going to kind of talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to look at what actually is happening to that person who's reading this for the first time saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Of course God has favoritism towards the Jewish people. Romans 2, we're going to go from verses 12 to 16, says, "For for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, that means nations or people other than the Jewish people, all those peoples, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Okay? So, let's just kind of walk the passage and what's he saying? Because he's he's tilting it. He starts off in chapter one of uh, in verse eighteen and on, and it sounds very much like he's leaning into the non-Jewish people here, because he talks about things about idolatry and he talks about uh, they know about God, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't quote any scripture. He doesn't talk anything about the Old Testament. Doesn't nothing like that. Then he gets into chapter two and he says, "But if you think you're judging them and you think you're better, you've got something." coming. And he goes on here and he says, uh, like I said in in verse 5 of chapter 2, your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself. And we're going to see for sure where we get to next time that he's clearly shifting the gears into talking about the Jewish people. 
and that they themselves need the gospel, that, that somehow just being among this chosen race or this, this people group, this physical descendant of Abraham, is not nearly enough for them to be part of the kingdom. All right? So, and, and so what he's going here is he's saying, those who sinned without the law, you'll also perish without the law. In other words, if they were not of Israel, they're still going to be upheld by a law. Now, what exactly is that law? What law were they being uh, uh, judged by? Well, this takes us back to Romans chapter 1. And if you remember, in Romans chapter 1, I made a big deal. We had a whole episode just on verse 32. It says, Although they know God's righteous decree... That those who do such things, talking about all these different sin lists, deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. All right? So, so there is something in the heart of humanity that knows, that knows God's righteous decree, right? There was something in the heart of Cain that knew it was right not to kill his brother. God didn't have to convince him of it, Right? And I want to go back and I want to show that to you clearly this time again in the story of how this works. But I, before we do that, I just want to, I, I want to highlight something here. They have this law within their hearts, right? This law within their hearts called God's righteous decree. And it says they know that God's righteous decree and that those who do such things deserve death. Now listen to the rest of the verse. He says they not only continue to do those very things, but they approve and encourage others who practice them. Just let the last part of that verse sink for a second. It means that people will follow their own sinful ways and say others should do so because it's the best way for them, that's good for them, even though the Apostle Paul says they know God's righteous decree. He's saying them, that people know, even though they live, complete opposite to this, this deep inner knowledge that they have, which they seem to be, and if you go back to Romans chapter 1, 18, they are suppressing this truth. It's being suppressed. Because they, they don't act like they know it, and they don't, in so much so that they're encouraging others to be a certain way. Right? So they seem to be living very consistent with what they know, but not really. What's really going on, there's this deep, God has put it there within people's hearts. There's eternity in their hearts, and they're just suppressing it. That's what Scripture teaches. Then we go back to our passage here, where it says that, uh, verse 14, it says, For when Gentiles who don't have the law, by nature, in other words, this, this law that's within them, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So it's a weird, it's a way, it's this whole thing saying they know deep within there, and sometimes they follow it, sometimes they don't, and at times they suppress it so deeply that it's just this conflicting thought would say, no, I'm living consistent with what I believe, but not really. Not really. God says it's there. You've just covered it up so much. You've pushed it down so hard that it's there. Now, this is not a small thing. 
This now starts to tell us that if you go back to the story, okay, go back to the story. This is the storyline of Scripture. The storyline of Scripture, you know, we've talked about the, the first 11 chapters. I'm coming out with a bonus episode here in a few weeks that you'll, you'll be able to just listen to. Just some, just some thoughts on the first 11 chapters of, of Genesis. Very important thing to really know. When we get to Genesis chapter 12, though, that's where the story of Israel begins, and it begins with a man by the name of Abram. Abram, it's, I'm just going to read it to you, the first three verses. It says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then it, it gives all this. Here's the promise to him. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you. Curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay? So Abram believes this. He he sees that there's going to be some type of descendant that's going to happen here, and that's what the the promise goes on with this people of Israel, right? That seems to be the storyline of the Old Testament, right? There's this physical descendants of Abraham. That seems to be the story. We clearly see a physical son given to him in, in, in Isaac, right? And then we, we see uh, that there's Jacob and Esau given. And we see this story going through the rest of Genesis. And there's this, there's this layering. There's the 12 tribes of Israel. Ultimately, there's 12, 12 kids by, by one, of the, uh, one of the boys and, and as it goes down the line. And we get all these different tribes. And it's a physical descendant thing, right? Back up to Genesis chapter 15, though. I want you to see something that uh, Genesis 15 is very important. And it's this part where, where uh, Abraham is doubting whether or not he's going to have a son. And God says, look at the stars. You'll have as many kids as that. They'll be, your descendants will be like that. It says Abraham believed him and God credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, Genesis 15, 6, that verse is going to get quoted throughout, especially the New Testament. But there's a part here where God is making uh, clear to Abram that he's going to get this, this promise, which was the land, okay? Now, and so it's, it's listed not here in Genesis 12, but it's repeated later on that he's going to get some land, right? And here's what happens. Genesis 15, it says, As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Okay, so he's talking about, uh, if you've seen any of the movies uh, regarding the Exodus, right? He's talking about um, Egypt, right? And Pharaoh. You, however, verse 15, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Okay, And a lot of us just read past that and kind of go, okay, that's what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to come back, and this, this clan of people called the Amorites who live there, they're going to get expelled. Now, just wait a minute, though. Let's just stop and back up for a minute. The sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. What does that mean? <laughs> like, as a nation, these people have not, they have not become evil enough. There's not been enough treachery so that I am going to expel them from their land. Well, wait a minute. 
wait a minute, that, that's never, that was never really talked about anywhere in Scripture. There is, with, with the people of Israel, there's a very clear, what we call a land covenant. In other words, if you continue in these ways as a nation, you will be expelled from your land. Well, is that, it seems like it's here saying the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. In other words, there's a land covenant with the Amorites. They're, they're, oh, even though God didn't speak it to them, it, it, it's just like it's written on their hearts. And so they had a land covenant with God and that they were to do certain things and they were going to they're going to lose their land when the sin of the amorites reaches its full measure now there's huge implications for that if the amorites also have a land covenant with god then israel is not special in that they're the only ones with covenants with god that everyone has covenants with god all nations did the difference for israel is that theirs were explicit The difference for Israel is theirs was clearly shown that it was the hand of God without question, without question. There are miracles happening in front of them, and yet they still reject God. The other nations don't have it that well. They don't have the writings of the Old Testament. They don't have the miracles. They don't have the patriarchs. They don't have all the stories. They certainly don't have all the uh, scriptures. There's a lot that they didn't understand that there was a need for a sacrificial system the way that God required it because of the sacrificial system, the temple, the tabernacle. So they get a lot more. The people of Israel get more, admittedly. But Israel, are you ready for this now? Are you ready for the I see dead moment, I see dead people moment? Israel is not special. Israel is just a microcosm of all the nations. Not, nothing more than that. They, they, they had it as good as you can get it. And they failed, as did every other nation. When he says God does not show favoritism, he means it. Now, there's favoritism in the sense that, oh, Israel got a closer look than everybody. Sure. But just because you're a a Jewish person, if you did not have faith in God, did not actually put your faith in his for mercy and forgiveness, and you didn't even know anything about Christ yet, you just trusted him. Uh, you would you would you would not be uh, forgiven. You would not be in. You would not be in the covenant. You'd not be heaven bound, right? Now you might be asking, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say that salvation comes through through Israel? Remember that he's talking to the woman at the at the well in John chapter four, and uh, she's a Samaritan, which is kind of a half breed. So we could, for the sake of arguments. We could say they're they're Gentiles. I mean, it's kind of a half breed. Samaritans are kind of something else. But but they're arguing about where they should worship, right? And Jesus answers her and says, "Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem." Well, that's interesting. Wait, I, th- I thought Jerusalem was where the temple was, right? It says, "You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know." For salvation is from the Jews. And there's the phrase. Everybody would say, there you go, Trico. Everything you just said is not true because it says salvation is from the Jews, right? Yet, he says, a time is coming and has now come. What does that mean? When Messiah has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the worshipers, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, 
I am he. Okay, so what, what does this phrase mean then? If, if, if you're not saying that salvation is through the Jews, uh, you're, what are you saying that when he says this? He says salvation is from the Jews. And I'm saying there's a big difference between the words from and through. From means, yes, they're building on the storyline of the Jewish people because it's a clear storyline of, of sin and rebellion, even though they had it as good as you possibly can, and Messiah came from the Jewish people. That's how salvation is from the Jews. But it's not through the Jews. You don't have to become Jewish first in order to become a Christian. Now, I, I, I know you're, you're probably thinking, why? Why is that? You know, you know. And again, if you're if you're not a Jewish person, it wouldn't seem to be a very big deal. If you were a Jewish person, that what I just said is in the first century, uh, and you came with the message of Jesus, and that is the message. The message is, you, you know, even though you've you've been you've been you've been brought along saying, "Hey, listen, we're just better than everybody else." I mean, it's not because we did anything, but God just chose us, and we're better, and therefore we're in, and everybody else is out. And along comes this man by the name of Jesus, and he starts teaching, uh, no, no, the, 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 the people of Israel are lost, and they need to repent, as does everybody else. Along comes a guy by the name of Paul, and he starts teaching things, saying, guess what? Everybody has law. Now, you thought you were special because you had law? Uh, you know, you had the, the written, the 613 written commands of the Old Testament? He's saying in Romans 2 here, verses 11 to 16, he's 12 to, 12 to 16, God doesn't show favoritism. Everybody has law and everybody sins. It's a crazy moment for a person when they see, I see dead people and you're saying that I'm the same as everybody else. Yes, I am. Whoa, are you kidding me? It is a radical different shift in the storyline. And just like our Bible study skill says, for the first time, the Jewish people in Rome who are now had come of faith have to say, I got to read the Bible as the bad guy. I read it before as just the Gentiles were the bad people and we're the good people. We're the good guys. And the reality is, is, and we've said it before, we'll say it over and over, there's level ground before the cross for Jews and for Gentiles. Now, if you come from a Gentile background, this whole episode might be like, I'm not okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. There are huge implications, and we're going to be going into those uh, big time uh, as we move forward, even for Gentiles. But just realize the shift in the storyline, the shift in the way you read the Old Testament, the shift in the way you see everything is based on the gospel of Jesus. It changed absolutely everything. And therefore, God does not show favoritism. Hey, I want to thank you for hanging out this week. It's, it's good uh, to be together once again. I look forward to next week when we dive right into... Uh, Paul is going to talk specifically again to the to the Jewish person now and talk about, okay, if, even if you don't want to view yourself as being equal on these things, let's look at how you're doing on the 613 
commands yourself. Hey, have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.